0: It's never uh, all that easy to know what to talk about on a weekend to find something that really will address everybody's interest, Uh, seeing as people do have different interests and different levels of experience in practice. So tonight I've chosen a talk which I feel um, addresses, to some extent I hope, something of a contemporary dilemma many people find themselves facing, both in their spiritual lives, in their therapy relationships, in their personal and social relationships. The talk tonight is based on the story of Hui Neng, who was uh, a Chinese master. It could be subtitled, Do I Work It Out? Or do I let it go? (laughs) (coughs) Each one of us lives with, as our constant companions, our bodies, our feelings, our minds. Each one of us carries with us our own unique memories from the past our own experiences from the past. Each one of us experiences the world in ways that are different from others, in ways that are unique to each of us. We all have two, our unique individual, aspirations, dreams, goals. All of this is what makes us a unique individual All of this is what creates our own personal world, our own personal way of seeing, our own individual way of experiencing ourselves and life around us. Also as individuals, each one of us, I feel, has unique tasks that we need to address in our lives. We have unique resources within ourselves that at times lay, lie dormant, that are in need of development, that are in need of nurturing. We also experience within ourselves forms of limitations, forms of barriers, forms of restrictions that are also unique to each of us, which need to be integrated which need to be understood, and which need to be accepted. Our inner journey, in our quest for wholeness, our quest for freedom, is also something that is unique. There is no standard map for growth. There is no standard formula or theories that apply to each person in their quest for freedom. Each one of us needs to understand what is required of us, what we need to address in our quest for wholeness. Despite our uniqueness, despite despite our personal worlds, despite our individuality, I feel also there are fundamental aspirations, fundamental values, fundamental qualities that we do share. On a fundamental level, we aspire towards peace. We seek for serenity. We seek for an end of conflict, an end of fear in our lives. We seek for an understanding of what it means to be free inwardly, what it means to be free of pain, what it means to be a whole, an awake, a conscious human being. And we ask ourselves, at times in our lives, at different times, how do we do it? How do we find an end to fear? How do we find an end to anxiety, to conflict? How do we come to freedom? How do we come to wholeness? What is the process for us coming to a place within ourselves where we feel we can walk freely in the world, where we can know a profound dimension of freedom within ourselves? And at times when we ask ourselves those questions, we may see that we encounter particular inner experiences, memories, ways of seeing, that seem to inhibit our freedom, that seem to inhibit our sense of completeness, of wholeness. And when we look at what it is in the present in our lives, that seems to create limitation, that seems or appears to create restriction and confinement. So often we see, that we hold a number of belief systems about who we are, that we at times experience distorted ways of seeing the world around us of other people, ways of seeing belief systems that lead us into conflict, into anxiety, into fear and insecurity. And when we look at all of those things that seem to prevent us in this moment from being truly free, We can also see that, in many ways, those very obstacles we seem to experience are the intrusion of the past into the present. They are rooted in past experiences of pain and fear. They are rooted in memory. They are rooted in conditioning. And when those past experiences intrude into the present, they create limitation they create restriction we have in our lives in the past and in the present experienced profound moments of connection of joy of sensitivity of love of serenity and we value those moments and those experiences, and we appreciate their significance deeply. And yet, despite our capacity to know a way of being in which there's a great deal of love and connectedness and wholeness, our knowing is or seems to be overshadowed by the power that the past has in the present, by the power with which the past superimposes itself in the present to inhibit us, to restrict us, to confine us. We fear repeating pain. We fear repeating experiences in which we perceive the possibility of pain. That intrusion of the past and the present, we can mostly see is made visible in the form of scars, scars that we carry in the present moment, scars that are in need, basically essentially in need of healing. (coughs) Probably all of us in the past at different times in our lives have not been able to avoid pain. Hmm? have had experiences of what it means to feel rejected, to feel undermined, to feel unloved, to feel disapproved of, to feel condemned, (coughs) those experiences in the past have a deeper impact, a deeper, more profound impact than the experiences we have in the past and present of our capacity to experience wholeness, freedom, and connectedness. They affect our way of seeing ourselves. They affect our way of relating to the world around us, relating to our own being. The intrusion of the past, our conditioning, our memories of pain, basically manifests in our desire or need to build walls with which to protect ourselves. Our need to create barriers, between ourselves and the world, between ourselves and other people in order to protect ourselves. Those barriers manifest themselves in the form of assuming different forms of armor, armor of indifference, armor of dullness, armor of lethargy, to assume different disguises in our lives, disguises which we feel We'll win acceptance, we'll win approval, we'll win affirmation. At some point in our lives, our desire for freedom and wholeness and the barriers and limitations that we carry clash. And when they clash, it's an incredibly important point in our lives. It can be a source of conflict. It can be a source of enormous growth. We know, probably, all of us, what we don't want. We don't want disconnection. We don't want alienation. We don't want pain. We don't want fear. On different levels, we also know what we do want. We want serenity. We want openness. We want sensitivity. We want appreciation, we want wholeness within ourselves. We know, too, that there is a lot of fear involved of letting go of everything that is familiar to us. We experience that fear to some extent in coming into a retreat. Because in many ways, when you come into a retreat here, you, you are naked, you are vulnerable in many ways. We know how much fear there can be in letting go of the familiar, our familiar roles, our familiar identities, our familiar images, all of which we construct in order to receive a particular kind of feedback from the world. There can be fear of being without our defenses because we fear they may that openness, that vulnerability may bring pain but we also know that there is pain in living in a defensive, protected, limited way. At some point, when that point comes, when our desire for wholeness clashes and meets our desire for safety, I feel at that point, it, it is a point that is pregnant with anxiety, and it's also a point that is pregnant with possibility. It's a point at which we can understand, truly understand, that or the importance of being free from conditioning, the importance of being able to let go of the past, the importance of being able to let go of our armor, our images, our descriptions, the importance of taking risks and of opening ourselves to the present. It means a real shift inwardly. It means a shift in which we're really willing to question who we are, to be present with ourselves, to be conscious with what is, to connect with our actual experience of ourselves and of life. One thing we come to realize deeply, I feel, in practice, in any area of our lives where we're concerned with growth, is that we are not going to bypass who we are in order to come to freedom. If anyone could find a way of bypassing who we are in order to come to freedom, to enlightenment, to liberation, to wholeness, I believe they would be the most popular guru in the world. Mm -hmm. No one has yet discovered how to do that how to bypass the actuality of our own being in order to come to freedom. We need to understand that to open to freedom, open to the possibility of being free, we also need to open to ourselves, to open to understanding ourselves, to being present with the actuality of who we are. We come spirituality, we come to different spiritual paths, different practices, because we treasure freedom, because we treasure sensitivity, wholeness, serenity. We come to different spiritual paths because they seem to offer us, they do offer us, tools, vehicles for being more awake, for being more conscious, for really nurturing understanding Our spiritual paths offer us the possibility of inner empowerment, how to utilize our own resources of energy, of awareness, of attention, to be increasingly clear, more sensitive. We bring, in coming to our spiritual paths, we bring the totality of who we are. We bring our memories of past experience, we bring our belief systems about ourselves, We bring our different forms of armor. We bring our memories of joy and our aspirations of enlightenment. We don't shed who we are at the door as easily as we take off our shoes. We bring it into this room and we sit with it. We sit with who we are. It's not always a comfortable experience. It's not always a pleasant experience, but it's not anybody else you're sitting with. We bring to, I feel, in taking this step of really turning our attention to ourselves, to being present. I feel that is a way of making visible an expression of trust in ourselves. I do not feel that anyone could come to this practice, almost any practice, without being, having been able to listen to themselves inwardly, without being able to listen inwardly, to the voice inwardly that whispers, no matter how quietly, that we do have the potential. We do hold the potential within ourselves to be a fully compassionate, conscious, clear human being. Yet sometimes we come to spiritual practice, therapy, and we find that there are some very seemingly contradictory views about how we should relate to our personal reality, how we should work with our personal reality, how should we, we should work with all of this that we call our individuality. And the two most apparently contradictory views, I feel, are most clearly expressed in the story of Hui Neng. <coughs> Some of you are probably familiar with the story. Hui Neng was um, a Chinese peasant. Place uneducated, uh, low-class peasant, who came into a monastery near his village with the desire to practice. He was quite young. And because he didn't really have all that much to commend him, no sponsorship, you know, no education, no money, he was basically consigned to the kitchens, you know, to do all that business of cleaning the rice and chopping the vegetables and all the rest of it. Anyway, there came a time in the monastery where the patriarch, the head of the monastery, was nearing the end of his life. And uh, he had to choose a successor. He had to choose a successor to be the next patriarch. So he decided he was going to test the people in the monastery. And the test he devised was he said that he would like anyone who really felt they were, who understood deeply, what freedom was all about, he would like them to illustrate their understanding by writing a verse on the temple wall. Now, most of the people in the monastery didn't even feel in the running of this contest, you know, and, and quickly dropped out in the beginning. This is a story but I don't know how true it is. There was one very senior monk, you know, who had been there for a long time, hanging around, you know, close to the patriarch, doing his practice. And everyone figured he was going to be the next successor you know that the test was kind of just you know a gesture so one night he went to the temple wall and and he wrote his verse on the wall and he wrote the body is a bodhi tree the mind a mirror bright carefully we shine them hour by hour and let no dust alight now apparently the others in the monastery thought this was a remarkable piece of wisdom and lit incense before the verse, you know, did prostrations, the whole business, and figured that was it, you know, the game was over. Well, that night, when everyone else was in bed, out of the kitchen comes our contemporary hero, Huineng, and to write his verse on the wall. (coughs) And he wrote, There is no Bodhi tree, nor is there mirror bright. Buddha nature shines clear and pure, so where can dust tonight? he was obviously nominated to be the successor. Those two verses, to me, illustrate this different views that could be held about how we need to work with our personal reality. Do we shine them, refine them, improve them, work on things? Or do we say that they're basically empty and that there's nothing to work on, that we just let them go? Hmm? One view, the first view, which says there is the body as a Bodhi tree, the mind a mirror bright and carefully we shine them hour by hour. It basically represents a way of relating to our own individuality, our own personal reality, in which we see the need to work on ourselves, to change ourselves, to transform ourselves, to uh, improve ourselves, to bring about change through our own effort and through our own energy. It's a way of seeing, almost as if we see ourselves as being a kind of receptacle, which over the years has accumulated lots of impressions, which has led to particular distortions, and basically we need to clean it up. We need to develop ourselves, or we may feel that we need to purify ourselves. And it says, basically, it represents a way of seeing in which it clearly says there is a path to doing all of this, to this change, to this transformation. And we are the ones who are individually going to travel and to develop that path. The second view is very different. There is no Bodhi tree, there is no mirror bright, Buddha nature shines clear and pure, so where can dust light? It's a radically different way of seeing. It's basically a, a way of seeing that says this notion of individuality this notion of self and all of our belief systems about who we are is basically empty. It's basically insubstantial. Therefore, there is nothing we need to do. There's nothing, nowhere we need to go. There's nothing that we need to attain. The first view says that there is a path and that we're going to develop it. We're going to refine ourselves through working on our difficulties and the experience we have difficulties. We often feel that we have to work on them. You know, we have to understand, we have to integrate, we have to transcend. We may even feel that we have to overcome particular aspects of ourselves. In that view, we may practice particular techniques, particular formulas for working on ourselves. And the intention in those techniques seems to be one of reducing the number of difficulties, (coughs) obstacles, limitations that we experience. We adopt different forms, different methods, in order to cultivate other more positive qualities. And because we're in the process of developing and, and cultivating, of course, time is a factor. You know, we feel that there's going to be a process of gradual change. That, you know, we will work on difficulties, we'll understand them, we'll integrate them. We will essentially become clearer, become more sensitive, become more free, become more understanding. And time is a very important factor in it. There's a sense of progress. Hopefully, that progress or that development of that progress will continue until we reach our goal, which may be enlightenment or liberation or wholeness or freedom, whatever we want to call it. second view views that very differently, and we may have encountered this in our own lives, basically saying that there's really nothing to work on. That the very idea of working on things represents a belief system that this is my problem, that I have to work out, I'm going to get rid of it, and I'm going to get better or clearer. It's a view which says all this variety of problems we experience in our life have only a relative existence, that their continuity is dependent upon our belief in self our belief in an entity which we call me, I. And it says that there is no progress and no gradual development. That all of those notions depend on a very real entity which it's possible to change. Now, both of these views and we may have found ourselves adopting these different stances in our lives in our spiritual lives in our relationships with others both of them I feel lead to radically different ways of approaching ourselves approaching being with ourselves you know if you if time is a relevant factor for you change improvement Uh, transforming, overcoming, if all of those are qualities that have meaning for us, then we can indeed find ourselves becoming very intense in our practice. Because we feel that there are these obstacles which have a very real existence and we must overcome them. You know, we must penetrate them or get rid of them or cut through them in some way. And that it all relies on our effort and our energy. And that if we don't put out the effort and the energy, they're not going to change and we're going to be stuck with them forever. Uh, And that's a pretty awesome prospect at times. So we can become very intense on working on things. Working on anger, working on jealousy, working on greed, working on defensiveness. We can become very intense. Often the difficulty that comes with that way of seeing is that there is a tendency in ourselves to focus on the negative. When you think of needing to let go of things or of changing things, what is it basically that you need to let go of? Usually we don't, you know, highlight things that we feel are more attractive about ourselves. You know, we don't feel that we need to let go of our compassion, our sensitivity, our appreciation. No, we almost always tend to isolate the negative within ourselves, which indeed does make practice a very miserable path, Mm -hmm. simply because there seems to be so much to do. Mm -hmm. And no sooner do we manage to work on one thing than something else pops its head up, saying, you know, I'm next, you know, you worked on your anger last retreat, now it's greed, you know. It can make it very intense, and it can really lead to this idea that the path of meditation is the path of misery. Hmm? And there is a tendency then to equate suffering with progress. And I feel this is a common tendency in spiritual growth, to equate suffering with progress. I know in my own practice, you know, some years ago in India, was very much into that mode of seeing, you know, that to really be getting anywhere, I had to be suffering. And if I wasn't suffering, something was wrong, you know. And I used to go and reach, and it was a commonly held belief in the group of people that I practiced with. It was almost a competitiveness about how much we could suffer, you know. Now, who could suffer the most, you know? And that person would be the kind of source of envy for the rest of us because they were suffering more than we were, you know. And then you would get this remarkable phenomenon of retreats, you know, where You know, you'll have someone screaming or quaking or shaking or crying, you know, and everyone else will be looking at them with green with envy, thinking, you know, well, they must really be coming to grips with something. You know, they must really be working on something because look how much they're suffering. I think it's a view that we do have to question to, to some extent, you know, whether suffering is a sign of progress. When we're very much into a gradual change over a period of time, then also signs become very important to us. Signposts become very important to us. You know, we feel we measure ourselves constantly when we're into this notion of gradual change. And I'm not dismissing it. But we tend then to measure ourselves constantly. You know, you've probably seen it even today. You know, if you have a sitting where your mind is not wandering so much, ah, it's a sign I'm getting better. You know, if you come into the next sitting and your body's aching and your mind is scattering, it's a sign. You know, I'm failing, I'm regressing. And we tend to be then always looking out for those signs, you know? Am I getting better? Am I doing better? Am I failing? Am I regressing? And we tend to measure our own spiritual worth, our own spiritual identity by the signs that we manage to see in our practice. Now, the second view basically is one that can be very attractive to us. (laughs) It says that there's nothing to work out, that there's nothing for us to do, but it's basically a waste of time for us to work on things, to concentrate on change, on transformation, on penetrating. It can be very attractive, you know, particularly for people who have difficulty connecting with their personal reality. It's enormously attractive to be able to say, oh, well, that's just ego, you know, or that's just my conditioning, you know, it's not real, it's empty, it's insubstantial, it's got nothing to do with me, you know, so why should I do anything about it? Hmm? It can be a very easy way of dismissing or becoming dismissive about our personal reality. And yet, we also have to question whether there's some validity in this way of seeing. Is, Is it not possible that we can be forever working on things? Is it not possible that we can be forever working things out, changing ourselves, trying to get better, trying to progress, trying to get rid of things that we feel are negative, isn't it to some extent going to be an endless task? Because we must also probably see, even by this point in our practice, that the very nature of self, the very nature of this I notion that we carry around is to accumulate descriptions. You know, I am angry, I am joyful, I am a meditator, I am a yogi, I am a worker, I'm sad, I'm happy. We see that whenever that kind of center exists within ourselves, we're always accumulating a new description. (coughs) And the basic problem, the basic problem is not so much these things that we consider to be problems. But the basic problem, perhaps more, is in our belief that this is who I am. This is my total reality. This definition or description I hold about myself, whether it's negative or positive, is a total and real description of my totality as a human being. These two views, you know, they seem to be very contradictory. They seem to be very incompatible. We are going to encounter them in our lives, in our spiritual lives, in our social lives, in our therapeutic lives. We're going to encounter them. Do we work it out? Do we let it go? What do we do? Is it one or the other? One thing, obviously, that needs to be considered is that they are, of course, just views. And any view, no matter how spiritual it is or how highly enlightened it is or how admirable it it seems to be, is still a view, it's still a form of conditioning, it's still a limitation. Hmm? What we need to do, I feel, what our task is, what our challenge is, is really for us to connect very clearly with our personal reality, with our experience in this moment. Because I feel if we can connect so clearly, so deeply with our experience in this moment, our actual path is going to become clear. It's going to become clear for us what we need to address, where we need to let go, where we need development, where we need nurturing. It's going to come clear for us. It's not enough to say to ourselves that things are just ego. Or to tell yourself, just let go of something, no matter how much in theory that seems very logical and very right, try it sometime. You know, when you're in the midst of some chaotic mind process, when you're in the midst of some intense mental state, just try saying to yourself, well, I'm just going to let go of this. (laughs) You know, usually you end up with a big fat zero in terms of letting go. Conceptually, it's not possible to exercise that kind of control over ourselves. It seems to me that to let go of the notion of self, of the notion of I, and it is very much the essence of meditation practice. First of all, to some extent, we need a healthy self to let go of. Now, that seems to be quite a heretical thing to say healthy self, you know. Um, I've come to feel that it has some validity. When our notion of who we are is very imbalanced, is obsessive, is very compulsive, is hung up on particular belief systems, it has the effect of basically making us dwell on things, become obsessed with things, become repetitive in our thought processes. When we have a very imbalanced, limited way of seeing who we are, we cannot help but be constantly occupied with it. Mm? No matter how much we might say to ourselves, ad infinitum, this is just empty, this is just ego, we will be occupied with it. So it seems to me, first part or one aspect of practice is a kind of healing. And in one aspect of practice is bringing about a very balanced and expansive sense of who we are. You might call it a healthy self. Hmm? It's a way of seeing ourselves in which there's a strong presence of inner trust, of stability, of balance, Well, we feel within ourselves the capacity to accommodate every aspect of our being with acceptance, with love, and with gentleness. It's a way of seeing ourselves in which we don't define ourselves by the negative. Hmm? It's a way of seeing ourselves, I feel, in a balanced way rather than defining ourselves by limitation. That's what I'm calling a healthy self. And a part of our practice, I feel, is really concerned with this whole area of acceptance, understanding, and integration. Because that acceptance and understanding and integration has an effect upon our consciousness. It means an expansiveness inwardly. You probably have experienced today, when you have a thought process come up, an image, uh, an obsession arise within yourself, you, your consciousness becomes constricted around it. You know, our capacity to see, our capacity to feel, our capacity to connect is so limited by that constriction. Acceptance and understanding and gentleness, integration allows the consciousness basically to expand. With that, it is within that expansiveness that there is the capacity to let go. That there's really the capacity to let go. Simply because if our consciousness is very constricted, very narrow, um, there's a a kind of blind subscription to the reality of what we're experiencing. When there's more openness, more vastness, We see these thoughts, these feelings, these memories, these descriptions about who we are arise, but there is space around them. And within that space is the possibility of inquiry. There's the possibility of questioning. The belief systems lose their power. They lose their charge because they're arising in an environment which can accommodate them. And they lose that power to limit us then there is the capacity to let go. And we come to really experientially understand that letting go of limited definitions, limited belief systems, images about ourselves, that that letting go is an act of compassion for ourselves. That that letting go is something that is liberating and that is joyful. And when we can experience that directly, how very liberating it is, to question our belief systems. We have the trust and the faith to question, not with fear, but with willingness and with joy. Because we see, if this is not so real, if this can just dissolve, just pass, just be let go of, what is real? Who are we actually? And instead of defining ourselves by our boundaries, we begin to search for horizons. We begin to trust in the possibility of true freedom, of true understanding. Our practice is concerned with the development of mindfulness, with the development of of attention and balance. It's also concerned with the development of real loving-kindness and compassion that we can know how to extend towards ourselves. That extension of loving kindness and compassion towards our own being is what is healing, is what allows the scars of the past to dissolve so that the past does not intrude into the present. It is inner healing. We can bring inquiry into that spaciousness we see that the different views of practice are not necessarily so contradictory. And I think there, feel there is a verse of the Buddha that actually illustrates the way in which those views are not contradictory. The Buddha once said, <coughs> mere suffering is, but no sufferer is found. The deeds are, but no doer of the deeds is there. The path is, but no traveller on it is seen. Freedom is, but not the person who enters it. There is pain in our lives. There are scars. They will be dissolved by understanding, by acceptance, by integration, by being able to question how much we are actually the owner of them how much we can actually be defined by them through that expansiveness and openness there can be healing we can act in our lives from a place not of reactiveness not of belief in self not of belief in center we can act from a place of stillness we can act from a place of pure silence inwardly so that we can do and be powerful and effective in our doing, but we are not measured by the results of our actions. The path is, there is a path of practice. It's a path of cultivating inquiry. It's a path of acceptance. It's a path of nurturing understanding. It's a path which doesn't, which is not designed to improve ourselves but to understand the reality of who we are. Freedom is, but not the person who enters it. I will not be enlightened. I cannot gain enlightenment. But there is freedom. And our freedom is in seeing that there is no description that can adequately describe our reality. And that freedom of being Freedom which doesn't know an inner or an outer. That kind quality of freedom which knows no definition is a freedom and a liberation and a wholeness which is accessible to all of us. May all beings live with sensitivity. May all beings Live with awareness. May all beings abide in freedom. If we could have just a couple of minutes quietly together and then we'll have a break.